0: And we are continuing uh, what we began last week, which is our summer Psalms sermon series. Uh, through August, each preacher will take a psalm and look at it with us. That's great. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Graham. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Morag, as Graham has just said, and I'm a member of the congregation. And I'm going to be talking or focusing my talk on Psalm 46. And the focus of this talk is really going to be verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And I'm going to try and look at three things during my talk. Who was the psalm written for and why? What does it mean for God to be a refuge and strength for us? And how might we respond to this psalm? Now, I chose Psalm 46 because it's one of my go-to psalms. It's a psalm that I always read when I'm agitated and unable to settle into the presence of God. It reminds me to be still, and it reminds me that God is my refuge and strength and that he is ever-present in my life. I like this psalm particularly because of the powerful images that it creates in my mind. God's presence in the midst of chaos. doesn't matter what's going on in the world. There may be earthquakes, storms, wars going on or just the chaos in fact of my life God is there he's present he's my refuge he's my shelter in these times also there's the image of the holy place the most high where God dwells the New Jerusalem the place where the streams of living water flow where you can go and drink and never be thirsty again and then there's the invitation at the end to come into the presence of God and to be still and also the reminder that is there that it's not just for Christians to come into the presence of God and be still, but a reminder that one day God will be King, the Most High, over all the nations of the earth, and He will be exalted by everybody, by the whole world. When I was doing my uh, research my, for this psalm, I found out that it was also—it's it's also known as Martin Luther's psalm. Uh, Martin Luther, who was the key person. In, uh, present, uh, in the Protestant Reformation when he rejected the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. He lived through some very turbulent times. And it is said that in troubled times, Martin Luther would say to his friend, Philip Melanchthon, come on, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. So I found out that Martin Luther and I have something in common. Other than being Christians, we both have Psalm 46 as one of our go-to psalms. And indeed, one of Martin Luther's most famous hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is based on Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 belongs to a group of Psalms, 11 Psalms, which are attributed to the sons of Korah. Let's look a little bit about who were the sons of Korah. Well, there were three sons of Levi, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath, and their and their families were assigned responsibility for various aspects of the tabernacle, of the meeting tent. The Gershonites were responsible for the coverings and the outer curtains of the tent and all the equipment that they needed for that. The Maronites were appointed care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, bases, and again, all the equipment related to that. And the Kohathites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the inner curtain. Now at that time the wandering tribes of Israel moved around a lot. They were moving frequently from place to place and the tabernacle, the meeting tent, had to be dismantled and carried and then set up again. Now the Gershonites and Merorites, they were allowed to transport uh, their equipment by cart but the Kirshenites had to carry their items because they were the holy items of the tabernacle. And not only did they have to carry them, but they were actually not allowed to touch them. They were not allowed to touch their skin because it was said that if they actually touched the items, they would die. And we read in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, that the priests had to wrap all the holy items in special coverings before they were transported. And the Kothathites began to disdain this role. He didn't like the idea that they had to actually carry all these items themselves, that they weren't allowed to put them into carts. And they began to covet the role of the priests. So Korah, who was the grandson of Kohath, got together a group of about 250 men and he challenged the right of Moses and Aaron to the priesthood. And Moses summoned the group before God to burn incense. And at that time, God also warned Moses to let the others in the assembly know not to stand too near to Korah and his group. And we read in Numbers, chapter 16, verses 28 to 35, that Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realms of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, the earth opened its mouth, and swallowed them and their households, and all those associated with Korah, together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realms of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, They were perished and gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. The fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So Korah died, but two of his young sons survived. I mean, God maybe thought that they weren't involved in all the plotting that was going on. And he had a purpose still and a plan for the line of Korah. And the Kohathites became doorkeepers and custodians for the tabernacle. And one group of Kohathites joined David in various military exploits and gained the reputation of being mighty warriors, brave warriors. And during the time of David, they also became great leaders in choral and orchestral music in the tabernacle. They played an important role in the Thanksgiving services and pageantry when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. And David formed an elaborate organization for song, instrumental music, and prophesying through these men. So there are 11 psalms attributed to the sons of Korah. And they tend to be psalms expressing a great gratitude and humility to an awesome and mighty God. They express a longing for God and a deep devotion. For example, Psalm 42 contains the beautiful line, As deer pants for flowing stream, so plant pants my soul for you, O God. Psalm 48, verse 1, states, How lovely is your dwelling place, O God. And Psalm 46 conveys the powerful message. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The verse that I'm going to focus on today. So we all like to feel safe. We all like to feel secure. And indeed, we take many, many steps in our lives to ensure that we are safe. We lock our doors at night. We put on our safety belts. Um, When we get in the car, we teach our children how to cross the road. We teach them what's safe and what is dangerous. We like this feeling of safety, this feeling of being secure. And God wants us to be safe as well. And we know this because within the pages of the Bible, God is continually expressing the fact that he wants his children to feel safe. He points us towards safety. He leads us towards safety. So if we can remember some of his promises to us, In Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 31, If God is with us, who can be against us? And Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, (laughs) reads, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So God is our refuge and the Hebrew word for refuge actually means a place of shelter and one of the things, as I said before, I like this psalm because of the images it creates in my mind and when I think of God as my refuge and my shelter, I think of this great awning that he spread over my life, this umbrella that is spread over my life and indeed all the lives of Christians. I can operate in the world from a place of safety, a place where God is ever-present, a place where God is ever-present, not only in the bad times, but also in the good times, in times of pain, but also in times of joy and happiness. Because God doesn't promise us a trouble-free life. We live in very unsettling times. We live in a world full of turmoil, and it will impact upon us. But we are operating from a place of safety, a place of refuge and strength, And it's up to us to look to God and to find God in our trouble and to have faith that he will be with us at all times. In Psalm 62, verse eight, David writes, "'Trust in him at all times. "'Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge.'" David Gusick makes an important point in his commentary on Psalm 46. He notes that in many of the Psalms, the psalmist begins with a description of the crisis he's in, the trouble that he's facing, But in Psalm 46, the psalmist begins with God's provision. He had looked to God for help in difficult times. And he could say from experience that God himself was a place of refuge. God himself was strength. God was his refuge and strength. Not God and someone, or God and someone else, but God was his his refuge and strength. That God himself was his help, not from a distance, but a very present help. So here's the question. How do I make God my refuge? And the answer really is very simple. To make God our refuge, it's to invite him into our lives. In theory, a very simple thing, but in practice, maybe not quite so easy or maybe something we don't do as much as we should. Remember in Psalm 62 verse eight, David said, "'Trust in him at all times, you people, Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And when we read the Psalms, we can see that David does indeed pour out his heart to God. He adores God, he worships God, but he also brings to God his shame, his guilt, and he asks for God's help in difficult times and when he's going to, into battle. He asks God to intervene in his life. The more that we turn to God, the more we will know him as our refuge. And too often we don't pour out our hearts to God. Maybe you're a bit like me and a bit selective in what we take to God. Maybe we don't thank him enough for the good times in our lives, for the happy days that we've had with our family, for a safe arrival at the end of a trip. Or maybe we think, oh, I can't take take that to God. It's too horrible, it's too horrible. I feel too guilty. I'm too ashamed. I can't talk about it yet. Or maybe we're in pain how could how could God allow this to happen to me so we don't pour out our hearts to God we don't bring everything to him and I was as I was thinking about this I was reminded of a hymn I used to sing as a child what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer Imagine the peace that we could have, we could experience, if we poured out our hearts to God. Everything, the pain and the joy. God wants to be our refuge, our safe place in times of trouble. But more than that, he wants to be our place, our place in the good times, our place in the bad times, our place in all times. God wants us to come to him, to accept his love and forgiveness, to be part of his family and when we're part of his family we won't need to run to god because we're already there we're already there with him he is in our lives picture once more the awning god's shelter and refuge spread over our lives a place of protection a place that gives us not only strength but also the love and the joy which will enable us to be effective disciples of jesus in our communities As I was thinking about this this psalm, I also felt that God was asking us to think about refuge and shelter in broader terms. We as Christians, we have this shelter, God's protection, refuge over our lives. And we living in the UK are actually very lucky because we live in a place of relative safety. And we've got many umbrellas and awnings in our society. The NHS, the education system, the welfare state, freedom of speech, freedom of worship. Maybe not perfect, but they are in place. Let's think for a moment about people seeking refuge and shelter in our country. Are we willing to share the awnings in our community and nation? Are we a nation of refuge and strength? Are we an ever-present help to those who need refuge? Let's remember that Jesus was a refugee as well. Very soon after he was born, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told him to flee to Egypt because of the atrocity that um, Herod was about to commit. We read that in Matthew 2. The massacre of the baby boys. The part of the Christmas story that we maybe don't like to focus on, we don't like to think about too much. But does this remind you of events that are taking place in our world today? Jesus only returned to Nazareth after the death of Herod. The Israelites were refugees for many years after leaving Egypt. They wandered in the desert. We read in the books of various books of the Bible, such as Kings, Jeremiah, and Daniel, how the Israelites were forced to live in exile in Babylon. Over the centuries, many millions of people have been forced to live in a strange, a foreign land. What should our response be are you a bit like me sometimes, overwhelmed by what's going on? It's too much, it's too big, what can I do? Or are we maybe being desensitized by the coverage, the media coverage? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the media coverage, because it's important that we know what's going on. But does it, are we in danger of it becoming another picture, another news story? Or are we afraid, afraid that people are going to come into our communities, into our nation, and they're going to change us they're going to bring their culture and we're going to lose what we think is precious to us the bible has many verses concerning refugees and how we should respond and behave leviticus 19 to 35 when a stranger sojourns with you in your land you shall not do him wrong you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you you shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of egypt and I am the Lord your God. Or Galatians 6, verse 2, carry one another's burdens. This is the way you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. Hebrews 13, verse 16, don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are sacrifices that please God. And Matthew 25, 34 to 40, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me as a guest. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we do do these things? And the king will say say to them, truly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And then Mark 12, verse 31, when Jesus said the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. These verses suggest that we should welcome the refugees, welcome the strangers into our land, into our communities, remembering that we are all God's children, regardless of the country we come from, the color of our skin, our belief system, our lack of, our lack of beliefs. We are all God's children, all created in the image of God. We're invited to treat others as we would like to be treated, with the love and compassion of Christ. So let's pray for eyes that see, for hearts that are hurt and offended by what's going on, by what we see and we hear. Let's be compassionate and welcome the stranger. Let's not be afraid of the differences, but indeed welcome the diversity, the opportunity. See it as an opportunity to learn and to share. Let's pray for the leaders of our countries to have compassion, for our communities and our nations to offer hospitality and shelter. Let's support organizations who help refugees to settle in this country. So let's not be overwhelmed, desensitized, or afraid by what we see and hear. Let's be a community and a nation of refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Let's share our awnings and our blessings.